Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Persist podcast. I am so excited to be joined by my friend, who is the mayor of the city of Palm Springs, Christy Gilbert Holstich. She was first elected at large to the Palm Springs City Council in November 2017. Christy was the first millennial and the first openly bisexual person to run for and be elected to the Palm Springs City Council. In 2017, she proudly joined the very first all LGBTQ city council in the country. In 2020, Christy was re-elected to the Palm Springs City Council to represent District 4 and rotated in as mayor in December. She is the city's first ever female mayor in 83 years and the first openly bisexual mayor in the country. Christy serves on regional and statewide boards and subcommittees focusing on economic development, women's health care, homelessness, and affordable housing. Christy earned a JD from Stanford Law School and a BA in Cultural Anthropology from UC Santa Barbara. She lives in Palm Springs with her husband, Adam, their nine-month-old son, Aiden, and their two dogs, Layla and Ollie. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you very much. Christy, as a jumping off point, could you please tell us a bit about yourself and your path into politics? Sure. So I went to law school thinking I would run for Congress one day far in the future. I thought, you know, I practiced law for 40 years and then run for Congress when I was 70. And in part, you know, growing up, I just noticed a lot of the inequality among women um, and girls. So, you know, grew up seeing my friends, you know, deal with sexual assault, deal with, you know, unplanned pregnancies, deal with abuse and harassment harassment, even by teachers, right? I experienced that. Um, and I was sexually assaulted. And so I thought, you know, what's the best way to create change for women and girls? And when I was 18, I, ne- I never really worked with a lawyer. I didn't know what lawyers do. But I just in my head thought, okay, most people in Congress are lawyers. So that's changing. And you definitely do not need to be a lawyer to run for office. And so I just thought, what's the best way is to use the legal system for good, for social good, for social justice. And then same thing when I was practicing the law, I thought, you know, what is really the best way to achieve equality? And I strongly believe it's to have 51% or more of the seats of people who are deciding issues that face our community. So you know, in 2017, I decided to just run for office now and not wait. Our voices are needed. Young people, LGBTQ people, women, you know, people who work for a living, all kinds of categories, right? And I chose to run for office right then. That is fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And you recently made history as the first bisexual mayor in the nation and the first female mayor of the city of Palm Springs. What does this mean to you and to the city of Palm Springs? It's a historic moment for our city. Definitely. We've been a city for 83 years since we incorporated and we've never had a female mayor. Traditionally, that's been a separately elected position. So voters don't vote for people in a district like representative democracy, like we do for almost every single representative seat, like Congress, Assembly, you name it, right? This was at large. And so um, we had one African-American mayor male mayor. But otherwise, it's traditionally been white men who live in one small little, you know, the wealthiest neighborhood in our city. So it's 
amazing to experience sort of that moment, not for me, but for our entire community, because women have been leading in Pulp Springs since before we could vote. There's photos of women running polling stations before women had the right to vote. So, you know, what a historic moment for our city. And we actually also have the first female majority. So we have three women on the council for the very first time. We have our first Latina who was ever elected. We have Lisa Middleton, who's the highest elected trans woman or transgender person in the state of California. So we have a lot of firsts. And I think that matters for all the people who are watching, right? The people who say, well, I don't see myself in that, or I don't know if I can do it. And so I think that matters to just honor one, the people who came before who got us to this moment, and then the people who will come after um, who were really opening all of the, the doors for. For the first bisexual mayor, I had no idea that there were were no other openly bisexual mayors in the entire country. I didn't expect that to be a first. And frankly, I was shocked that how is that possible? There are so many cities and I've been assured that there are other bisexual mayors, just not open, open and out ones. So, you know, that's such an important moment for our community as the LGBTQ community for Palm Springs, which has really paved the way for LGBTQ folks and really tried to, you know, create a safe haven for us. So, you know, we were the first all LGBTQ city council in the country. Palm Springs achieved that. And and then now this. So I really think it just goes to show the power of our community and our values and electing people who, who are, you know, paving the way for our community and for our values. Absolutely. It's been so exciting to watch all of the media attention and the news um, covering all of these historic firsts in the city of Palm Springs. And then, of course, you being involved in so much of that. Uh, And I watched a lot of your social media in particular during your reelection campaign last year. You were pregnant during the pandemic. You didn't let any of this stop you, however, from getting out and connecting with voters, which I thought was incredible. Tell us about what that experience was like and how it's been to be a new mom as you've entered your tenure as the mayor of Palm Springs. Yeah, it's not easy, definitely. So I, we did IVF actually to get pregnant. And so the doctor said, okay, are you going to be ready to have a baby October 20th, you know, 2020? And I said, well, I'm running for re-election in November 2020. So this might not be the best timing, but we want a baby. And so we'll go forward. And uh, that's what happened. So I gave birth um, two weeks before election day. So props to my team, really. I had this wonderful, amazing team of primarily women, of primarily LGBTQ folks, of majority mothers. So really my team helped me because I, you know, at the two week mark or really, you know, a few weeks before election day, I was just too pregnant um, and then had a newborn to do a lot of the groundwork. So my team, and that's what so important. People always think that candidates or elected officials are like one person, right? Like the celebrity thing of like, oh, it's only me. I, Christy, am doing all of this. But I had a paid staff of at least five. You know, I had so many people come in and help. So people came in and helped me with fundraising, with social media, with everything. It really was, you know, it takes a village. It really, my village came through and helped support me because I did knock doors two weeks before I 
I gave birth. Um, so, you know, there was those moments, but by and large, I don't want to make it unrealistic for people. Cause I think people see me sometimes doing that and they're like, wow, you're a superhero. You know, it's like, you're seeing my Instagram of me walking doors, you know, when I'm two weeks before giving birth, but you're not seeing me like lie on the couch or, you know, have to go to the urgent care because of, you know, complications or all of the things I went through in pregnancy. So, you know, it was definitely hard. I thought people wouldn't attack me once I was, you know, running while pregnant, but actually it was a really hostile campaign with a lot of biphobia. People were saying, how could I be five? I was having a baby or married to a man or people were saying my pregnant body was gross and commenting that online. So there's actually a lot of, it was really hard. And especially when you're pregnant, you're very vulnerable. And so I wasn't protected from some of that, you know, online harassment in the same way that that maybe I normally would be. So it was definitely hard, but I wanted to show that we can do it. You know, you can run for office if you're nine months pregnant, you can run for office, you know, if you're I was on modified bed rest for a majority of my pregnancy. So if you have a disability and you're, you know, at home, you can still run for office. And that's what I try to show through my struggles doing this. I really appreciate that. You're certainly one of the people that I admire most in this political arena, in this region, primarily because you're so honest and vulnerable and authentic with your life experiences and what it's like you know, to be in public office. I really think that you're a game changer when it comes to politics in this region because you're not afraid to push the envelope and be honest and authentic in the name of progress. As we know with any social movement, there is always backlash, as you're alluding to. I'm curious to know more about some of that backlash and the target that you endured, especially during that re-election campaign. I know it was really challenging and you dealt with some pretty serious targeting. Sure. So one, you, I look up to you too. I think you are such a game changer too for our region. And it's so great to work with you in partnership because I, I feel the same way about you really, you know, focused on getting things done um, and, and social justice and progress. You know, I've always said and thought to myself that why do voters elect us, right? Voters elect us to get things done, to speak the truth, to be authentic, right? To try to bring our authentic selves to the positions that have been lacking, right? There maybe have been women who served and mothers who served, but have we really been extremely open and saying, you know, this is impossible. I make $29,000 a year and my child care is probably $25,000 a year to just do this job, right? So people, I think, haven't been, we haven't been able to be our true authentic selves in these positions. And so that's why I'm committed to doing that. And that's what I think voters want from us. I think voters are tired of status quo politicians who are there for self-preservation because I'm, I always say I'm here for a good time, not a long time. You know, I don't want to be here for 20 years and not do anything. And if I am doing things, and I know I have lower approval ratings than my other council members who don't speak out, but that's what I think my voters want from us. And, you know, they, they want us to represent those values. So yeah, the backlash has been hard. What happened this last election cycle is that I issued a letter about the sheriff, Riverside County Sheriff, who had said that really terrible things saying the pandemic wasn't serious, that it was like the chicken pox or the flu. He said that he wasn't a 
accountable to the board of supervisors, who the people of Riverside County elect to represent us, all kinds of things. And so, you know, and then there was this whole moment um, where we were reckoning with racial justice and policing in our country. So I issued a letter in support of some oversight of the sheriff. And I said that there's a history of racism in our city and disparate outcomes, which exist today. That's just facts. And I, you know, got the police union spent $60,000 in attack ads against me. They issued, they literally all that money went to an attack ad on TV, blaming me for homelessness and the pandemic and businesses closing really terrible. They issued um, a photo of me online with an X with my face X out. So, and then I got a, I got a death threat from their media assault of me, just misinformation that they shared. So I'm, you know, it, it sounds fun, but you know, when I talk about it's fun to be out there, but the backlash is real. But from that, we got an opportunity to talk about racism and policing, talk about racism in our city. We're bringing forward actionable items. We got body cameras. We are doing an apology for, you know, actions that the city has taken to segregate and exclude um, our, our Black residents and commitments from the police union to better work with our community. So in terms of like having a basketball league and other kinds of um, investments in youth that there were before that no longer exists. So that's a little bit of the backlash. There's a lot to talk about because I was also getting homophobic and biphobic attacks every single day. On every post I made, people were commenting. So it is hard, you know, and you just have to be focused on why you do this and not focused on the haters or the Facebook trolls or, you know, any of that because you can get really bogged down in that. And then I think you would never say anything and never act. Thank you for sharing that. I think that it is so important that we talk about all aspects of what it's really like to be a woman, you know, an openly bisexual woman in politics and to be targeted in the ways that you are and in the ways that so many of us are, right? And I think that there's this tricky balance between really wanting to encourage any and every woman to consider running for office, but also being real and honest about the challenges that we face in these roles. And I appreciate the way that you've been able to be so honest and transparent about these challenges and how you've turned some of these challenges into really great strides for the city, as you've just explained. So thank you for sharing that. Um, For those who don't have familiarity with local government, please walk us through what it's like to be the mayor of Palm Springs. How do you approach the role? And also, how do you balance the competing demands in your life otherwise? Sure. I love this question because I think that young people, or at least millennials, I can speak for our generation, we weren't taught about local politics. You don't learn about local politics in high school or even college. And so I'd say the majority of my friends probably don't know what I do. And I go and speak, I'm sure you do too, to elementary school classes. And it's just really hard to give like a basic, you know, explanation of what we do. So um, there are five people who make all of the decisions, the oversight of the city. So the mayor in our city is one of those five people. We have a weak mayor system. So the mayor is not the CEO of the city. Um, The mayor doesn't act alone. The mayor is part of the legislative body. And so we oversee the city manager, who is the CEO, the executive of the city, the city manager, 
runs the day to day. So, you know, often he's the most powerful person in the city, but he works for us, for the five people that the people, the voters elect. And so we make decisions about, you know, we give guidance and direction to the city manager. We set the priorities for the city. We, you know, make decisions. All the biggest decisions come to the city council to decide. And we, you know, also oversee the city attorney. So we're sort of as an oversight board or the legislature for the city. And we are also bringing policy, right? We say we want to work on um, civil rights and so or, you know, racial justice or whatever issue. And then we give direction um, and staff brings that back and we decide that. So I've done things like I finally passed um, a styrofoam and plastic ban in the city. It took me three or four years. You know, we're focusing on reuse. So we're doing a pilot to pay for people to get reusable containers to use that when they eat out or restaurant go to restaurants. So anyway, we pass policy and then we do we work for the residents. So we get resident requests, we respond to them, we give them information, you know, resident asked me to make Juneteenth the city holiday. And so, you know, I did, we did that, we issued a proclamation, and we're working on trying to get it a paid holiday. So yeah, fundamentally, we work for residents, um, and we do what they want us to do. You've already done so much in your time on the council. I'm curious to know what are some things on your list coming up for the future? What are some of the bigger topics that you're most eager to address going forward? I won the homelessness and housing crisis are the biggest issue facing our state and facing local cities. And it's such a hard issue for local cities, especially small cities like ours that aren't getting a ton of federal and state dollars to actually do anything. But we have to build housing. We just have to build as much housing as possible so that more people don't fall into homelessness and we address the cost of rent and buying homes here. Climate, the climate crisis, you know, we live in a desert. It's 110, 120 degrees right now. So, you know, it's really concerning what the impact of even a few degrees change um, will have on our region. So, you know, addressing sustainability, addressing climate, reducing our emissions, we're hyper focused on that. Other kind of environmental issues we're working on, like preserving open space, preserving habitat, converting, you know, land to open habitat, and then economic development, right? Creating an, uh, an economy that works for all of us. We have a hospitality economy, you know, a lot of people are making minimum wage. And so our residents can't connect to good paying jobs. And so, you know, we've done things like we just passed a project labor agreement to make sure that all city projects over a million dollars go to a trained and skilled workforce or union jobs so that, you know, people can get good paying careers with benefits and all of that. So I'd say those are the top four priorities that that I'm focused on every day, trying to, you know, make an impact on. Those are fantastic. Thank you. I'm curious to know, we've talked a lot about the challenges that you've endured. So I'm curious to know, what do you love most about being in the political arena? I love working with people and I love, especially working with 
people who are interested in running for politics. So young women and girls, LGBT folks, you know, people who might want to run in the future or might want to be involved, because I should say there are a million ways to get involved if you care about politics. It is hard to be the candidate sometimes. You have to have a thick skin, or if you don't, you have to learn that, right? Or learn how to cope with some of the issues that we've talked about. But you can run campaigns, you can volunteer for campaigns, you can do policy, you should work for the city. I keep pushing this to my sister and others, because those are really good paying jobs, and you get to serve the community and work on issues. So I love working with people and helping mentor people into this field. I think, you know, there are a lot of young people in city government at all either on the staff level or elected, though we're changing that. So I love trying to yeah, mentor people into this field. And then I love the city level because we really get to work on every issue that impacts our quality of life, right? Climate change, uh, racial justice, social justice, economic justice, any issue that you hear about, it's likely that we as the city and, may- and mayors and council members get to work on those issues. Thank you very much for that. And that's that's a great way to segue into the final question, which is always, if there's one piece of advice that you could give to college students who are thinking about running for office in particular, what would that be? My advice is not to wait to get involved now. So you can run for office if you're 18 and registered to vote. You can serve on a board or commission of the city, which is how I got involved. So I was interested in homelessness and human rights and social justice. So I applied for a board, um, the, the city's human rights commission and the homelessness task force. I did that for a few years before I served. Um, we just changed our rules. So you don't have to be a registered voter. You can be undocumented. You can, you know, be a student in our city. You don't have to live there um, and you can serve on a board or commission. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to get involved. You can reach out to your local council member or mayor and ask them if there's internship opportunities or shadowing or, you know, jobs, paid jobs. Um, I know we're trying to hire paid interns to do work with us and to help create a pipeline. So, yeah, just get involved now. And that's been my main message is, like I said before, you know, you don't have to wait to run. I felt like I had to have all my ducks in a row and be a perfect candidate and have all my kids or, you know, be at a certain point in my career before I could ever think about running. And I think that's how we hold ourselves back, that you're capable and qualified to run now. And if you don't believe it, you should attend a council meeting or a commission meeting and see the people often that are serving in those roles. And you might think, wow, I can do that better. So you don't have to be a perfect candidate. Candidate. You just have to do it better and be a better representative than who's serving now. And you probably are. So yeah, please jump in the arena and help us carry this work. Mayor Christy Holstage, I love that so much. You are a game changer in politics. Thank you for your contributions to this region. And also thanks for this brilliant interview today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. The Persist podcast is hosted by me, Denise Davis, director of the UCR Women's Resource Center, and is produced by Rosa Tejeda and the staff in the UCR Women's Resource Center. Check out our Instagram pages for links to more episodes at UCRWRC and at UCR Persist. 
If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, please email us at wrc at ucr.edu. We hope that this podcast inspires you and those around you to get involved in the political arena because we know that who is at the table absolutely matters. Finally, if you have any ideas for who a future guest should be on the podcast, feel free to reach out and let us know. 